I've been telling you for a long time that SaveWithConrad.com can save you money, but don't take my word for it. Hello. And this is Dave Silva. I'm calling from Save with Conrad. Well, how are you? One morning I heard Conrad mention something about, you know, refinancing and paying some debt off with it. So I was able to get a better rate, um, knock five years off the loan, and my payment stayed the same. So I went for it. What would you say was your favorite part about working with our team? Um, I, I would say just how quick and easy everything was. Uh, you know, Derek was great over the phone and Conrad was great over the phone. It was like I knew both of them and I don't know how I could have made my experience any better. We knocked five years off the loan. Wow. Um, just in the payments, that'd be about $65,000. It was easier to refinance the house than it was to buy the house. What would you say about working with Save with Conrad? Great experience. It was very easy. Uh, everything that he says on the podcast about saving the money and, and the amount of money he can save uh, is absolutely true. Would you recommend this to a friend or a, co- a co-worker? Uh, I, I absolutely would, and I have. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> Yep, absolutely, man. I, anytime I hear somebody say something, I definitely bring it up. Jason, thank you so much for your time, and, and I really appreciate you, and I hope you have a great day, and thank you for listening to all the shows. Yeah, man, thank you for calling. I appreciate it. That's, that's really cool. So what are you waiting for? Find out how much money you can save right now for free. You don't need perfect credit or money out of your pocket. Even credit scores in the 500s can be approved. And if we can't save you money, we won't waste your time. But because we're licensed in more than 40 states, we can help more families than ever before. Find out how much money you can save right now for free at SaveWithConrad.com. Oh, and did I mention you can skip your next two house payments? Hurry to SaveWithConrad.com. NMLS number 65084, Equal Housing Lenders. Woo! Welcome to something to wrestle with. Something to wrestle with. Bruce Pritchard. Well, you know. That's not a rib. She pooted. No, you have a meal. There's no box of gimmicks. Rumor and innuendo. I don't deal in rumor and innuendo. It, it, it. Was he there? I was there. I don't give a <laughs> shit. <laughs> I ain't scared. I ain't scared to shut him. You, Bruce. I love you. You Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to something to wrestle with Bruce Pritchard. Bruce, what's going on, man? How are you? Yo, yo, yo. I got like some of my teeth in my mouth this week and that's, that's a plus man. I I love that you started with some of my, like that's, that's a Southern word, but not a lot of people, some of my, some of my, 
Yeah, you, you, you have, understood what the fuck I was I, saying. I got it 100%, and I was thinking, boy, <laughs> some of these Yankee bastards listening to this are going to have no idea what you just said, but I know about some of my... Well, it's English. Yeah, well, kind of, barely, but I'll tell you what, people were excited last week when we were speaking English about the late, great, sensational Queen Sherry. I got really, really great feedback on the show, but like an old school something to wrestle, hit me right in the feels. I loved it. What was the feedback you got? You know, most I, I'm positive for the most part. It, it's funny. Uh, I'm still getting hate over the radicals. Uh, <laughs> one, but again, like you just said, you know, you and I had a conversation before we went on the air. Some shit people are going to like, some shit people aren't going to like. And like Alabama weather, just hang around a little while, it'll fucking change. Um, unlike Connecticut, where there, where it's just cold as fuck. Um, but man, it was, I gotta tell you, Conrad, it was fun to go back and do that, to examine someone that I was close to and got to be a part of their life and vice versa. So when you have that type of a personality like Sherry, like a macho man, Randy Savage, the dream and Piper and guys that I had the privilege of working with and getting to know them inside and outside of the work area. Those are the most fun. Those are the ones where you can get a little bit deeper into the conjecture, I guess, if you will. And um, it was fun. I mean, that that was a lot of fun last week. It was over before you knew it. And it was one of our longer ones of late, which, you know, hey, is what it is. Well, I had a great time doing it. And uh, I also enjoyed when people started to go back online and sort of rediscover some of the greatness that was Sherry Martell. Someone actually found a clip of some video and tagged you and I in it. I don't know that you saw it, but I retweeted it, hoping that you might. It was from Wrestling Challenge, where Dusty Rhodes was involved. Uh, of course, Miss Sapphire was involved. Sherry Martell is there. And of course, Brother Love is there. And you've told the story many times before where Dusty would draw a comparison backstage to yourself and Randy Savage. He would compare himself to Babe Ruth. And you sarcastically say that, uh, the macho man said, well, babe, and then out there in the middle of the match, and this was just recently posted online as, uh, the American dream lands near you on the second rope, you're on the outside on the floor and you start referring to him as babe. And I just thought that was laugh out loud, funny because it, <laughs> it totally came full circle. We've heard that story for years here on the show. And now there's a little Easter egg. If you know, you know, and if you if you hadn't watched or, or, or listened to our show and you saw that clip, you wouldn't think anything of it. But within the context there, oh my gosh, it just made my Friday. Well, and for those who haven't, Conrad, you know, I mean, we should probably go ahead and, and I'll, I'll retell. I'll do a Reader's Digest version of the story. We were working around the loop with we, Macho Man Randy Sex, pronouns, pal, God damn it. Um, it was Brother Love, Randy Savage, and Sensational Sherry. It was a mixed tag match, Sherry and Randy, with Brother Love in their corner, against Dusty and Sapphire, with Miss Elizabeth in their corner. And Randy and I, being huge fans of the American Dream Dusty Rhodes, we were just thrilled to be working with Dusty and having fun every single night. Well, when you work a Dusty match, it can be the equivalent, I, I don't know, it it. it a lot of people would just call it uh, comical and cartoon haha, but we had a lot of fun doing it. And Dusty would stand in the middle of the ring and you found that bionic elbow with your head. No matter where you were in the ring, you could find that elbow because he wasn't going to find you. And 
we were having a blast. But we we were out. We were we were bumping and feeding. We were heels in uh, the traditional sense of the word, and we were having old fashioned wrestling house show matches. Pat Patterson came and watched. We had a double shot, and it was in Canada. One of them was Toronto, and Pat says, "I want you guys to ride with me. We're going to go to the next shot." And Pat watched it. We get in the car. We're thinking, "All right, man, what'd you think of the match, Pat? It was great, wasn't it?" And he looked at Randy and I and just basically chewed us out, told us it was one of the worst pieces of shit he'd ever seen. And we're feeling kind of bad. And, and he's looking at Randy going, hey, that face, Randy, you're a WWF champion. And you're in there with fucking Dusty Rhodes. So fuck him. He needs to be doing your shit. And goddamn me, you, you'll get him over. Yes. But oh my God, he's killing you guys. Brother love, nobody fucking touches you. One time, he gets one time at the end. You're fucking flying and flipping, fogging all over the fucking place. And so now Randy and I are second-guessing the fuck out of this thing, feeling real bad and shit, like, oh, my God, we shit the bed. So on the way there, you know, Randy and I are coming up with a different match, and we're running by things with Pat and all this shit and so on and so forth. So when we get there... We were at the old Maple Leaf Gardens. We get to Toronto. That was the second shot. And we walk in. Randy's fired the fuck up, man, because he's realized now that, yeah, brother, I've been taking advantage of. Yeah, not going to happen. Not tonight. We're going to have our match tonight. So we go in and all this shit, and Randy's fired up, and we walk in the dressing room. Dusty's sitting in the in the back dressing room and randy and i were in another dressing room we walked down into dusty's dressing room and and dusty uh sitting there randy walks up goes yeah you'll dream i need to talk to you here real quick so the three of us go in the shower dusty's got his back up against the the wall in the shower and uh savage looks at him and says yeah about the matches we've been doing, uh-huh. we're going to change it up a little bit tonight. Yeah, we're going to get a little bit more. You're going to get a lot less. Uh-huh. Uh, Brother Love, tell him what we're going to do. <laughs> <laughs> Randy just pitches it to me. And I'm like, uh, well, and I lay the match out to Dusty, who does not say a word, just stares at me, man, and is just looking at me. And when we finish, Randy's like, well, and Dusty looks at goes, you know, that right then, baby, was kind of like coming in and telling Babe Ruth how to hit the ball, if you will. And Savage looks at him and goes, well, babe, we'll see you in the ring. <laughs> we walked out of the fucking shower and we did our match and we kept that match for the rest of the thing. But yeah, that's where the Babe Ruth thing comes from. Yeah. And from that point on, we kind of call, hey, babe, over here, brother. Yeah. Uh-huh. Need you to sell a little more. Uh-huh. Yeah. Go out of your way. Look for that exchange on Twitter this past weekend. Gosh, it made my day. You actually calling. Dusty Rhodes, babe. And there's a video camera rolling with an earshot to catch it. Uh, it was just great stuff. And we're hoping for more great stuff today. Today. We're doing something that, uh, I enjoy. It's the anniversary shows. And yesterday, uh, it was the 15 year anniversary of no way out 2005. It went down on February 20th from the Mellon arena in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. 
had your 9,500 fans, did about 240,000 buys on pay-per-view, which ended up being the second lowest in 2005 behind No Mercy in October. This is, in fact, the seventh No Way Out pay-per-view. It is a SmackDown-branded event. There's two main events on this show, one of which is very interesting. It's a barbed wire cage match for the WWE title. It's JBL defending against Big Show there. And then we also get the hometown boy, Kurt Angle, against John Cena. We're coming off the Royal Rumble where we saw Batista win it. Of course, Vince would tear both quads on his incident getting into the ring. Of course, the finish didn't go exactly as planned. Briefly tell everybody about the chairman and his quad injury. Oh, God. Yeah, it was uh, supposed to be a John Cena elimination with Batista winning the Rumble. And when they went for the spot, whatever happened, Dave lost his balance and both Cena and Batista came out at the same time. Uh, No, it wasn't supposed to happen, folks. And that wasn't the planned finish. And it was a bit of a bit of a screw up there. But thank God. At least it was close. You know what I mean? It, it looked like they both hit at the same time. And is we're all going, fuck. Uh, we're talking about what we're going to do before you know it. Vince is out the curtain. And Vince is storming down to the ring. And when Vince went to slide into the ring, he tore his quad. And he went to get up and he couldn't get up because his quad wasn't there. I mean, it just, he was screwed. And Vince restarted the match. Batista got rid of uh, Cena and what have you, and they helped Vince to the back, but he was very adamant about not being helped too much. And at that time, you know, as he wasn't being helped too much, he tore his other quad. And um, very interesting night, to say the least. Yeah, it sounds like a horrific night. We've covered that one a few different times. Let's talk about some other news as we head into the companies. Uh, second lowest pay-per-view of the year. No way out 2005. Uh, Meltzer would report that, uh, Brock Lesnar filed lawsuit against the company in Connecticut on February 4th, claiming the non-compete agreement he signed the prior year was unreasonable and unenforceable. The lawsuit would state that the restrictions are quote, not reasonably tailored to protect WWE's legitimate business interest. And they impose an excessive restraint on Lesnar's ability to earn a living interfere with the public interest and are otherwise overly broad, unreasonable, oppressive, unfair, and unequitable. Of course, we know how we got here, but briefly catch us up on, uh, what got us to this point, Brock's departure, you guys drafting a new agreement, what Brock wanted to do that you guys did not have any interest in allowing him to do. Well, the beautiful thing about it, especially during this time, was, you know, Brock had left and Brock had gone on to to play football. But the beautiful thing for me was I had nothing to do with it. And I had no dealings in talent relations and didn't have to deal with any of that uh, from just being on the creative side and also living in Houston. So I didn't have to get bogged down in the quagmire of all all of the crap. And you pretty much heard from the peripheral different rumor and innuendo and all this other shit. But if it didn't affect what we were doing at that time, next, let me know when it affects me and we'll kind of move on. And that was one of those moments when you hear about things like this, that you're so happy that you're not involved in that end of the business anymore. So it was, you know, Brock had asked for his, his release some time ago to play football. They gave it to him. Um, 
And that didn't work out. And best of my recollection was Brock wanted to go and do some other things, either in Japan or whatever he wanted to do. And I guess that was spelled out in his contract. But as all things do, it uh, worked itself out. It always does. I am curious, though, you know, the the non-compete, in your opinion, uh, did Vince view Japan as a legitimate threat? I mean, would it have mattered for another competitor? Uh, but, but it, I guess what I'm trying to ask is was, was Brock Lesnar's situation, was his star unique enough that Vince didn't feel like he could have Lesnar compete for new Japan, UFC, et cetera, et cetera, compared to other talents. Well, I think a not a non-competes non-compete. That's why it's there. So it doesn't matter whether it's new Japan, old Japan or Wisconsin, uh, green Bay, Furnham Snavitz, the non-compete is there for a reason. And it was, you know, it was an elective, uh, deal. So I think that that was a big part of it, that if he wanted to continue to, to wrestle, I guess that they wanted him to wrestle for us. Did you ever have a conversation with Vince about what his policy for non-competes was? Because we've heard it phrased different ways over the years with you here on the podcast, where you would say, you know, they don't get to quit when I want them to quit. But at the same time, we would also hear, well, we don't want anybody here who doesn't want to be here. Take us. It depends on the situation. It depends on the situation and, and the talent a lot of times. And every, every situation can be unique. So it's depending upon that situation is going to depend on the feeling at the time. If somebody is, is disgruntled and, and making waves, um, while they are there and a part of the company, then it's a lot more. Okay. Then, you know, we'll wait and we'll do it on our terms. If someone is cooperative and they're not a problem, then you work with them and you do your best to, to make it right. But it's, I think every, every situation is different. And from everyone's vantage point, it's a different outlook. So it just depends. It really depends on the person and the situation. Talk to me about burnout. Burnout is real. Uh, any of our folks who have made a living either on the road or in all commission sales or whatever, you realize that, man, it's not just you know, the wear and tear on your body and the money in the miles or whatever the cliches are. It's also just mental burnout where you just get to a point where you just sort of got to get out of the race car. How much of that does Vince attribute guys like this? When Lesnar just says, I just got to go. I mean, did you guys always think, or do you remember Vince ever saying, well, goddamn pal, he'll be back. He just needs a break. Um, I don't know in particular to Lesnar one way or the other. I, I actually, this is funny because you and I didn't talk before we did this. And I briefly just told you, you know, without saying a lot, when you talk about burnout and you talk about that, I thought you were actually talking about me because this was a period in my career where I was beyond burnout. I, I was burnt, fried and, um, you know, just there were, it felt like there were only ashes left because it's, you're burning the candle at both ends. And, and I had just not my professional life, but also my personal life with the health of my wife and two small kids and a lot going on. And you, you just reach that point where you hit a wall 
And um, unlike Dr. S.C. Williams, I wasn't able to just walk through that wall sometimes. So for me, this this period of, you know, the first part of 2005, probably the first six months of 2005 and, and the, 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 the last year of probably from July 04 until June or July of 05, I was fried. Well, it, it, it happens. We're glad you're back, by the way. Um, let's talk a little bit more about Lesnar. Wow. Wade Keller would write. I guess we should mention that, uh, one of the options besides coming back to WWE for Lesnar is to compete in, uh, mixed martial arts. And the two big players at the time are UFC or pride. Both would have paid a bunch of cash to get Brock Lesnar in. And we know how that worked out eventually, but Wade would write when Lesnar began calling Vince McMahon's office a month or two ago, he wanted to return to WWE. The problem is WWE sources say he wasn't willing to return under the terms of his previous seven year contract. He wanted to work a part-time schedule quote, Lesnar's demands are ridiculous, which set the tone for a less than ideal negotiating climate says one WWE source who heard details about early talks between the two parties. Quote, Lesnar wants more money for less work and different working conditions than his colleagues. It's a bad plan. He is not a star who deserves different treatment from other wrestlers. Now, my, 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 how things change. Do you remember hearing that, Hey, he might want to come back, but under different terms. And why was Vince not willing to uh, be more open-minded to that at the time? Whereas ultimately we know something like that did come to pass. Yeah, I have absolutely no idea. So I wasn't privy to any of those conversations, nor did anybody share any of that with me. And it was whoever said that it was privy to a lot more than I was. I didn't didn't get to participate in all that. So I don't really know to say one way or another. And I think that if Brock really wanted to come back, he would come back. And if he wanted to do other things, he eventually ended up doing other things and eventually came back home where he belongs. But it's, it's like, shit, uh, that was hard to comment on. Cause I have absolutely less than zero knowledge of it. Well, something you may have a little more knowledge of because it's become a legendary story in WWE, uh, Amy Weber, that's according to Wade Keller, a member of JBL's cabinet quit the WWE after ribbing on the road. Wade would write, it's no surprise that WWE Divas are the subject of considerable ribbing and harassment on the road, but it reached a breaking point for Weber during the overseas tour last week. On the trip from Japan to Alaska, Weber had enough and quit. She flew home a day early, paying for the flight herself. The embarrassment stemmed from wrestlers coming across a flyer on the streets of Japan for the White Horse Gentlemen's Club with her picture on it. The same professionally uh, posed photo previously appeared on the cover of the February 02 uh, magazine, V twin, I guess it's like a motorcycle magazine. And she says that was done without authorization and it was actually taken without permission from the leg Avenue catalog, which was published in 2001 wrestler said that they asked the club doorman, uh, what the woman on the flyer did. And the doorman basically said anything they wanted for a price. Weber who lived and worked in Japan for several months, denied she ever worked at that club. Instead sources. Close to Weber, tell the tourists that the photo was used without her permission and was stolen from her personal website. 
Weber was an easy target for wrestlers since they were armed with this piece of quote unquote evidence of a prior sundry period of her life. A source close to Weber tells the torch that she had no reason to engage in stripping because she had done high profile ads in Japan for Coca-Cola, Suntory beer, Tokyo tires, cosmetics company, and Georgia coffee with Bruce Willis quote. The club uses the picture to get people into the club says the source close to Weber. Anyone who knows Amy knows how hard she has worked and has been offered many things by many walks of life, but she's always kept her pride and not sacrificed her morals. Of course, Weber plans to sue the Japanese club for unauthorized use on that image. And, uh, the officials are currently trying to talk to Weber, hoping to convince her to remain with the company and, and Wade would write. It's possible. Laurinaitis will take heat for what went down on the overseas trip, letting things get out of hand before stepping in. So obviously a comedy of errors here. Uh, I guess this is just sort of par for course. When something like this gets out, it becomes telephone, telegram, telewrestler. It is that sort of sensational story that spreads underneath. What do you remember about this story and the news that Amy Weber's coming home? Oh God. I unfortunately remember a whole lot about it. Um, to be clear, you know, I, uh, adored Amy, Amy Weber. I thought she was, she was great. She was easy to work with and she was a lot of fun and well, she was a good talent. Uh, with all that being said, it, everything that, that happened that you said happened, that, that all happened. It was, it was a rib. It was having busting chops, right? Which in this business, if you, if you don't bust chops, you know, you're going to go crazy. And if you can't handle getting your chops busted, you're going to go crazy. Um, and it was, you know, it was innocent and it was fun and it was, you know, ribbing. I don't think that anybody in their right mind believed that Amy actually had ever worked for this club or had done anything because you look at the picture, you know, I saw it. It was a business card. It was a business card. They had a picture on one side and uh, the club address and everything on the, on the backside. I heard firsthand from the people that got it and I was there. I witnessed the entire thing. And it was, you know, Hey, this is where I'm going tonight. And anybody ever see this? And when they, when they were holding the card, they were looking at the, uh, business side of the card with the information on it so that Amy could see her picture on the other side. And Amy took it. She goes, Hey, wait a minute. That's my picture. And they're like, Oh my God, you work there. So it <laughs> that's how it went. And I think that the, the continual, oh my God, you worked at this place. And, oh, it just probably overwhelmed her. Not probably. I know it overwhelmed her. And she took it to heart and took it very seriously. And, and it was one of those situations of a rib going too far. Um, did, but, you think uh, it, did you think it went too far? No, I don't. Cause I was there for the whole thing. And, and it was, it was just, that's, that's what happened when I just explained to you what happened. Yeah. Just typical wrestling shit. And it happens all the it, time. No, it would be typical anything shit. And it, I think anybody that you bust no, no. chops in the, in the fucking in the office, mortgage. The yeah, absolutely. I, I think everybody in their own walk of life has fun with their friends and their coworkers. Um, and that's all it was. That was ribbing. And nobody believed for a second that, you know, this was actually her, but wanted to have a good time with her 
at her expense, you know, and go, oh, my God, you know, th- this happened. Um, and I think Amy took it to heart, and, and uh, it was very unfortunate. From there, you know, she – I talked to her that day. I talked to her that evening. Um, I think she went in and, and quit to – tried to quit to John Layfield, who <laughs> was her fictional boss. Uh, <laughs> But again, that comes from Amy was not a part of our business. She right. didn't understand, and she she was new in the business. And some people just don't understand how things work. And she was still uh, finding her way. And our, the the classic line from Layfield was, "Amy, quitting to me is like quitting to Tony Garea. It doesn't mean anything. <laughs> I mean, you can't give me your notice." Um. But, uh, you know, she was a very nice young lady, and I think that uh, the business was not her cup of tea, and, that you know, she wasn't for her, man. You know, some people just not made for the business, and the business was a little different in that era, um, close-knit group, and I think if she had gone along with it, that everyone would have embraced her. I, and frankly, I think if she had stuck around, everyone would have embraced her, but I just think it was, it was too much, too soon, too heavy. Mm-hmm. I think she thought, Oh my God, everyone believes this. They, they think that no, they're working. They're working. They're having fun with this. Go with it. You know, give them a rate card. I don't know anything <laughs> just, but it, it just was an unfortunate, it was an unfortunate outcome an unfortunate situation that where a joke just went too far. And that's all it was. Well, I'll tell you this. I, I know you weren't <clears throat> losing sleep about it and uh, we're not losing any sleep these days because we're sleeping good. Thanks to purple. And I got to tell you, sleep is critically important. The quality of your sleep affects the quality of your daily life. It's pretty simple, better sleep, better you, and you got to do what Bruce and I are doing. And that's check out purple. You see the founders of purple are two brothers who've been developing cushioning technology for 30 years on things like medical beds and wheelchairs. And then a handful of years ago, they created the world's most scientific mattress purple. Now the purple mattress will feel unlike you've unlike anything you've ever felt before. It's it's firm, but it's soft and no, it's not memory foam. Uh, this is a new material developed by actual rocket scientists. And this purple material, it's going to keep you supported. It even gives you like a zero gravity like feel. So any sleeping position will work, whether you sleep on your stomach, your back, your left or right side. But my favorite part about the mattress is it's breathable. So it's going to sleep cool. I love my purple mattress and you're going to love yours. And you know, it's a great company when they hit you with this a hundred night risk-free trial. If you're not fully satisfied, you could return your mattress for a full refund. Purple even offers a 10 year warranty. They also include free shipping and returns. They'll even do free in-home setup and old mattress removal. Why wouldn't you do this? You're going to love purple. And right now our listeners can get a free purple pillow with the purchase of a mattress. That's in addition to the great free gifts they're offering site wide. Just text wrestle to 84888. Now the only way to get the free pillow is to text the word wrestle to 84888. That's W R E S T L E to 84888. Message and data rates may apply. Let's keep it moving. Let's talk about another piece of news here. Wade Keller would write WWE signed the new five-year agreement with 10 sports to carry WWE programming in India and the subcontinent. 
The press release states the agreement covers more than 2,500 hours of first run programming, including flagship brands, raw and SmackDown across the five years of the deal from January 1st, 2005 through December 31st, 2009, the nine first run hours per week of WWE original programming have become one of the hottest properties on Indian television and will be broadcast throughout India and the subcontinent. 10 sports is available in more than 30 million households via cable and satellite networks in India almost half of the total TV households. And we are delighted to extend our very strong relationship with WWE. So a big feather in the cap for Vince McMahon. How long had he been chasing the opportunity to do something more in India? Well, I think that from day one, when you look at Asia and you look at the continents, you're looking at India, you're looking at China and to be able to secure that is a big deal and to get your television out there to the masses like that it was a major stepping stone so this was something that you can go back god i can go back to the early 80s when syndication of tapes was really starting to take off and that was that was the carrot if you could get into uh the united arab emirates and in that area you could get into india and South America, those were <laughs> because it was just a different distribution platform and being able to get out. That really meant you were worldwide and India was a big feather in the cap. Without question. Uh, let's keep it moving here. Another report from Wayne Keller. One source heard the Vince McMahon said at a recent meeting that Paul Heyman was off the writing team and would never be back. There's no ever. One. There was no one on the inner circle with McMahon pushing for Heyman's return. And some are actually speaking out against him. There are no indications at all that he'll have anything to do with the ECW pay-per-view in June, assuming WWE goes through with it. Even when Heyman was around, he was battling some folks who had their eye on promoting the ECW pay-per-view in a way that Heyman didn't like. This is maybe the most, one of the most hokey pokey relationships with the McMahon family, Paul Heyman over the years, he's had good times, bad times, everything in between. What was the tone and tenor here in 2005 to the best of your understanding? Uh, I, again, this was a low point, I think for that relationship, but like any relationship, like any good marriage and any, any, not any good marriage, but any marriage, any relationship, they have their ups and downs. And this was a down period. And this was a time that for whatever reason, whatever Paul had done at the time, Hey, I've been there. So, you know, it's, you just go through times that you don't see eye to eye and it's time to move on. This was one of those times. So I think that Paul, you know, was moving on to different things in his career and we were moving on without him. But, uh, as you know, and as you can see, things change and never say never. Yeah. They changed very quickly with the ECW pay-per-view and of course, that got uh, Vince excited and motivated enough to bring back the brand. And they tried that. And then that went down in flames. And like always, Heyman found a way back in there and, uh, was entertaining us once again. Uh, and I'm well, glad I, I think that speaks to Paul's talent too. And sure. Paul is an extremely creative guy, very talented guy. So, you know, talent always comes out on top. I don't, I know you don't have time to listen, but recently on 83 weeks, uh, Eric Bischoff praised Paul Heyman as being one of the truly most creative people he's ever met in professional wrestling. I'm sure you would agree. I would agree. Absolutely. I, I think that Paul is, 
you know, from the standpoint of creativity, but also the standpoint of being able to take what a lot could look at and say, ah, nothing there. Uh, I see, I see dirt. Paul sees adding water to the dirt and building a castle from it. Um, and that's the genius of Paul. And Paul, you know, is one of those guys that will always, is always creating and will always be successful in that way. As long as he has his head. Let's talk about another interesting relationship with the company and someone who's in and out a little bit. It's the rock. Wade would write rock and WWE appear to be in the process of reconciling. Uh, the WrestleMania 21 situation seems possible since the rock and WWE appear to be fixing their damaged relationship besides newspaper reports of a reconciliation, the company plug rocks, be cool movie at the SmackDown tapings and is also promoting it on their website. Rock was quoted recently in the New York daily news talking about his contract with WWE expiring and the article gave indications a deal for his return could take place soon. Quote, I wasn't contacted or notified or anything like that. It wasn't until my own team had basically congratulated me. Oh my God, what a wonderful career you've had. Congratulations that I realized it. I wish it would have went down a little differently. And that part I'm sad about the article goes on to say that, um, a WWE side said that the contract was mistakenly allowed to expire quote, somebody dropped the ball and everybody, including Vince has apologized to the rock. McMahon, the rep added, plans to fix the situation at the earliest opportunity. And Wade would write, the links Rock has taken to make it clear he wants to remain part of WWE family offsets any criticism of him in the past that he was trying to distance himself from his pro wrestling background. Rock had a perfect opportunity to write off that part of his life and move on to be exclusively an actor. And he's not wishing to stay in WWE for the money since movies are paying him immensely more than a WWE contract will. And there's still a chance that we could see a rock appearance at WrestleMania 21. Talk to me about the end of rocks contract, this expiration and, and it sort of slipping through the cracks made a lot of news back in this era. What do you remember hearing about that? And what do you think Vince's intent was? Um, I, I do know his intent was never to ever let a contract expire with rock. And there was a period prior to this when, uh, Rock had done the football movie with the little girl in it. Uh, I, uh, I forget the name of the movie. Great movie. Um, played quarterback and what have you, but there was a time that I think the folks out in Hollywood, what I think you're talking about game plan, game plan. Uh, there was a time that a lot of his people in Hollywood that were around him would continually tell him that's when he dropped the rock, you know, name from everything he was doing and just wanted to be known as Dwayne. And, um, they're like, you got to get that wrestling behind you. I don't believe for even a half of a second that the rock ever really wanted to get wrestling behind him. It's in his blood. It's his family. It's his legacy. And there were those around him. I think that stirred up enough of that. And they would get that out, you know, in their gossip circles. And, and look, the the Hollywood people have just as many dirt sheets and gossip mongers like the lowlifes that inhabit our business that like to stir that kind of shit up. And I think that if anything, that that misunderstanding came from a lot of that. And 
feeling that rock will be here forever. You know what I mean? Right. And not, unfortunately, I guess, and again, I wasn't involved in it, but I guess that somehow it slipped through the cracks and somehow there was that black hole that somehow it got missed and it did get rectified because when, whenever you finally get people together to actually speak and talk and be reasonable, uh, things usually have a way of working themselves out. And rock made it very clear that WWE was his family and that he wasn't interested in not being a part of the family. He couldn't be full time. And we understood that we knew that. And that wasn't the best thing for rock and or WWE for him to be full time. Um, he was out there and it all got reconciled and Brock, you know, same thing. Rock came home and, and is still a part of the family stronger than ever. Is that one of the lessons you learned from Vince McMahon over the years when there is some sort of miscommunications or hurt, or hurt feelings or whatever, just get everybody in the same room. Yes. Yes. Usually, usually it is the best, <laughs> the best way to, to deal with things because when you let it go on too long, feelings fester and your imagination takes hold of you and you start thinking that, well, there's more to it than there ever actually was. So the best thing to do is always, uh, you know, approach it, face it and move on. Let's talk a little bit about Vince. Um, this has got to be, you know, you're talking about how you're burnt out. This has got to be one of the worst times of his life because now, because of this torn quad injury, you know, a couple things have to change. He can't be around these wrestling events that are the centerpiece of his life and business personally, professionally, etc. And B he can't work out. And what we've heard about Vince is that he is just a freak when it comes to that, to the point where sometimes when you guys land in the middle of the morning or middle of the night, he still wants to go straight to the gym to train before he does anything else. How off his rocker was Vince in this era where he can't go to shows and he can't go work out. He had to just be going crazy in his house, right? Yes and no. I mean, we said can't work out. Vince was probably working out his upper body harder than he ever had in his life during this time. However, his favorite body part is his legs. He loves to work legs. It's, didn't get the memo from Hawk and Randy Savage. It, it's an upper body business, uh-huh. Um, so he was working out harder. And contrary to what people thought, he was involved and he was out there and recovered, um, did everything that I would advise against doing, but probably recovered four months ahead of projections. Wow. Um, just by, you know, again, he would, he did a different type of rehab and he religiously did it and he got in there and he did everything that he had to do so that he would get back. And I don't think that it was, it wasn't even God a month before he was back on the road. Was there a and, concern of his just because he's always been, uh, jacked and he's always, you know, presented himself a certain way. Was it a concern of his to, because we've heard like, uh, never sell it that type of thing. Very macho machismo. Was there a part of him that's sort of old school and does, I don't want anybody to see me in a wheelchair. I don't want anybody to see me with a walker, that type of thing. Um, no, I think it's just more of a, 
I think that's the persona. I think that that's what a lot of people think and, and want to believe. Uh, Vince is just one of those guys that is going to do whatever he can to get beyond that. And he did do that in this situation where it was like, holy fuck, um, you're back. So in that regard, yeah, he's crazy and uh, has a work ethic that is unmatched in that regard so that his rehab matched the work ethic of everything else that he did where he was religious and doing everything that he could. If it, if it meant doing one thing extra, he would do two things extra just to get back to where he wanted to be. And that was, you know, out amongst everybody. So no surprise with that. Um, let's talk about Andy Guerrero and he's talking to the UK Sun about his first title reign, adding insight to reports. Uh, that he was taking uh, very personally anything that didn't go right on the SmackDown brand. Here are the excerpts uh, on things like uh, putting pressure on himself when he was champion. Quote, it's a great responsibility being champion as you're the only one carrying the ball, and I found it very difficult. It was the first time I'd held the title, and I don't think I was ready. I was ready to win the belt, but not for what lay ahead of me. I wasn't prepared mentally for what happens outside the ring because I think that's where the real challenges lie. I was taking things like uh, attendances and ratings very personally. I'm an extremist and that's one thing I'd like to change in my life. It's good to be hard on myself, but not to the point where I beat myself up about things. And if I'm honest and look back at my mistakes, when I was too hard on myself, when I was carrying the title, I let things eat me up inside and I questioned myself when I shouldn't have, but it's a lesson learned and I won't make that mistake again. How good of advice is that to a young wrestler who finds himself maybe in over their head? Great advice because you can't take it personal. And I've learned through the years, you don't take business personally. Uh, it's not the easiest thing in the world to do because it is a personal business. And regardless of who you are, um, there are things that you, because there's just no other way to take it a lot of times other than personal. And Eddie was one of those who wanted to carry didn't want to, but he did. He carried the weight of the world on his shoulders and wanted to be the guy that was going to make the difference. And in my opinion, Eddie was the guy and Eddie did make a big difference. Eddie opened the door to the guys that weren't six feet two and, and what have you. He, he opened the doors to more Latinos and Eddie opened the door and showed personality will outweigh size and everything else every single time. So to me, Eddie did succeed tremendously. And Eddie was a pioneer and trailblazer that just, I thought he was very successful. And I thought that he didn't look at it that way. Eddie looked at every little thing as if you took four steps forward and two back, he just got damn it. Just, I took two back <laughs> like, no, Eddie, we actually were still ahead. Two steps. We fell back a little bit, but Hey, we're, we're still moving forward. And if there was anything that was, you know, backwards, yes, he, he took it, took it upon himself and felt very responsible, I guess is, is the best, best way to, to put it 
And he wanted to be that guy that made everybody. That was that was Eddie's thing. He wanted to make whoever he was in the ring with. If there was somebody to be made, then it was Eddie's in his mind. Well, I've got to do that. I've got to be the guy to prove to everybody that I'm the one that can make this happen. Another quote from uh, Eddie, this time about JBL as champion. Of course, I was disappointed to drop the title. How could I not be? The WWE championship was everything I'd worked for, and it was heartbreaking for me to lose it. But JBL was great in our matches, and he's really stepped up to the plate as champion. A lot of people doubted him, although I never did, and I think he's made them meet their words. JBL's the WWE champion for a reason. He's not there because he's anybody's friend, but because he's working hard and continues to do a great job. Man, is there a more class individual than Eddie Guerrero? And JBL is an example that I would give you when talking about Eddie Guerrero wanting to make talent. Eddie looked at John and felt that there was a lot of doubt. Will JBL get over? It's a new character. It, it's We're doing this, this new character with a guy who had been here for a long time and had different you know starts and stops. Eddie took getting John over as a challenge and Eddie did it. Eddie was able to make, you know, Layfield and was able to make that character JBL Layfield was able to deliver, but I don't know that John would have been as successful as he was had his first launching point, not been Eddie Guerrero because it was, they had chemistry and we did some we did some pretty crazy shit and Eddie was on board for it every single step of the way and Eddie looked at it at, with pride when Layfield had the success he had as champion let's get to the show let's get to no way out do we have to we're having so much fun you watched this show for the first time in a long time not a uh, fan of this show yeah I'm not not at all why I did not like it. I didn't. I, I just, you, you look at it sometimes and there's periods. I, I recently talked a lot about ruthless aggression for a network deal. And it, it brought me back to, to a lot of this period. And it was a struggle because you were, you were constantly looking for that next guy. You were constantly looking for, um, what's going to hit and there were things hitting, but you wanted more and, and you, you looked at, uh, traditional ways of, of making talent and or not making talent. And, and it just, for me, very, very frustrating. And, and that may have been because I was burnt and watching it and going back and revisiting it just brought up bad memories to me and just a bad time in my life. Well, I appreciate you saying that. Um, but we love this. This is fun to go back and investigate the old shows like this. And I got to compliment you. I think you guys did a great job on uh, episode one of ruthless aggression. I got to see that. And, uh, it's funny because, uh, Megan, who, who normally doesn't sit down and want to watch matches, she'll watch documentaries and things like that with me. And I said, Hey, there's a new WWE doc. I know Bruce is all over this. And she said, Oh, did he tell you? I said, no, but I mean, come on. He's the best storyteller they got. And so after the opening graphic, it's your voice. And we both just started laughing. So I'm glad that everybody else who doesn't listen to our podcast gets to experience 
you spinning some yarn there for him. And she also gave you a compliment. Uh, she said, man, why can't Tony Schiavone dress like this? And I just laughed. And laughed. <laughs> All he's got to do is visit a tailor. Not a specific one. Anyone, any of them. anyone just, just go and, and get your suit altered or buy clothes that fit. Any of that comb, comb your hair, iron, any of that iron, any of that. Yeah. But I knew you would love that. So Find I wanted silk to tell you. tie. Just any tie. Well, yeah. Well, yeah. Let's talk about the opening match. Um, before we do, let's lay the groundwork in January. Does Tony Mr. still hate me? No, I don't think so. He's a weird guy. Like, you know, they get did, out of here. They did their, uh, their TV here in town, like right down the road from me. You know, I live at the top of the mountain at the base of the mountain. There's an arena. So they, they did that arena. And, uh, Shivani didn't hang. So there you go. I mean, you can see like how many arenas from your vantage point on that in the mansion. All of them. I picked out Madison square garden last week. It was kind of, I know, cool. right. You just look out of the North end. Sure. Well, no, I was on the East wing, uh, yeah. the third balcony. And, yeah. uh, of course I had, you know, all the peasants down below holding the ladder for me. Cause I'm too fat for ladders, but with, with all the help. I, uh, why do you keep you doing still, this? You still have the Bentley that takes you from wing to wing. No, no, we've upgraded that. We're to a rolls now By the in way, the house. I'm you, talking about the one in the house. Do you realize that all your bullshit has, has gotten me a Wikipedia and people have fun fucking with it on the regular. And lately it even says that my house has multiple, that you've nicknamed my house, the Conradison and it has multiple elevators and a fleet of Rolls Royces. For once, Wikipedia gets it right. Jesus Christ, what are you doing? I'm just, I'm just saying that for once, there was a club, and I think of you when, when I think of this. There was a club in Hong Kong. Um, I think it was on Kowloon. That was called when I went there. It was called B Boss, but it was called Bentleys. And in the club, they had a Bentley convertible that would drive you from one end of the club to the other. Oh my God. And this club was huge. And I, that's what I think of that. That is what you need at the Conradison because the moving sidewalks, dude, it takes forever on those things. And I'm telling you, you can get rid of the moving sidewalks and just the, the width of the hallways. Anyway, you can fit a Bentley in there and it would help. Why are you doing this? Just cause the getting from wing to wing there, I get lost. You haven't even been here in years. Not true. It is true. I see how I don't it think is. It is. You got that sweet McMahon money. You don't. You don't need to fuck with Alabama no more. I got it. Listen, here's the backstory. In January, Mysterio and Rob Van Dam lose the tag titles to the Bashams. That's right, the Bashams, in a fatal four-way elimination match. During the match, RVD injures his left knee. The Bashams smash it with the steel steps, taking him out of the match. And with Van Dam injured. Mysterio asked the SmackDown GM, Teddy long for a rematch long, ag long agrees to give Ray a rematch. If he can find a suitable partner and then fast forward February 17th on SmackDown Mysterio reveals his new partner, Eddie Guerrero. So here we go. Eddie Guerrero and Ray Mysterio are going to wrestle the Bashams for the tag titles here. They get plenty of time, 14 minutes and 48 seconds. Wade would say nothing wrong with the match as it was solidly executed. But other than a fun finishing sequence, it wasn't an ambitious effort. The first 11 minutes felt like competent filler. And later Guerrero grabbed a tag belt, but Ray told him not to use it. 
Meanwhile, the Basham switched places inside the ring. Guerrero went to the top rope, but when he went for the frog splash, he revealed he knew the Basham switch since he turned his dive into a safe roll landing and Guerrero pretended to be hurt. When Doug turned around, Guerrero surprised him with a small package. Danny threw Guerrero a tag belt. Guerrero played hot potato, tosses it to Doug. The ref takes it away from Doug and then Ray gives Eddie the other belt. He knocks out Doug with it. Then he catches the six one nine on Danny and Eddie covers Doug for the win. And Wade liked the match, but said it should have been better. Two and a quarter stars. I absolutely loved the lie and cheat and steal persona of Eddie, where he's good natured, but trying to get the win however he can and outsmart the bad guys. That was well done here. I thought the teaming with Ray was was very well done. But it does feel like a bit of a demotion. We go from closing the shows with the world title to now we're in the opening match for the tag belts. But on the other hand, I guess it's kind of smart because you don't want to necessarily piss off the hardcore Eddie fans. You put him into another meaningful spot with someone, you know, he's going to have great chemistry with like Ray Mysterio, and it can be just as entertaining. And, and it was entertaining. It was a very good match. The, I think that what the feeling was, was it was vanilla. There wasn't a whole lot to it. The The entire match was, look, the Basham's both tremendous workers, but they just didn't have a whole lot of personality. And all of the personality, everything in that match that made it worthwhile came out of Eddie and Ray. And again, you just go back to that sly, you know, the sly smiles, the sneakiness of Eddie. And the way that he would underplay it was just sheer delight <laughs> when you go back you want to see how to how to be a heel and be loved that was eddie guerrero and we knew that down the road where we wanted to go eddie wanted to get back to being a heel again and you had to invest the time into the relationship with ray to get to that point and this was the beginning of that so knowing where it was going that was good the match was okay Nothing else. It just was, it was, it was there to me, which you'll hear that repeated a lot. Well, I love the pairing. The idea is great. Let's talk about the Bashams. I don't know when we'll talk about them again. Uh, what, what should we know about the Bashams that maybe we don't? Well, Doug Basham was, they're both were out of OVW and, and Louisville and Doug Basham was Danny Davis's brother-in-law, maybe. Something like that. I don't know. They were related somehow. Um, decent hand, good size, but as far as star power and that personality to take him to the other side, I'm not sure that that Doug was going to be one of those uh, one of those guys that was going to break through the pack. Um, the other Basham was Damaja. Um, who worked in, in OVW again, a, a hell of a hand, a hell of a good worker. Um, he had some personality in his damage, a persona that he did in OVW. They looked alike. They had similar styles and thought, well, let's make them brothers and try and get some personality out of them. And I just don't know that it ever really came out. So you surrounded him with JBL in the cabinet and that whole experience, but it just, you know, some, some guys are only going to go so far. And that was, 
I think that was the story of the Bashams. Let's uh, keep it moving here on the show. Um, I guess we should mention on the following episode of SmackDown, though, uh, Eddie Guerrero and Rey Mysterio would successfully defend those titles against the Bashams, and they would continue to defend the titles against other teams, including Mark Jindrak and Luther Reigns, JBL and Orlando Jordan, Hardcore Holly and Charlie Haas. Guerrero, however, challenged Mysterio to a match at WrestleMania 21 to find out who was a better wrestler, which Mysterio accepted. And then the following week on SmackDown, Guerrero faced Danny Basham, but Mysterio accidentally cost him the match. And later that night, Guerrero cost Mysterio his match against Doug Basham. As we know, at WrestleMania, Mysterio would defeat Guerrero. And that really speaks to your point earlier, Bruce, about taking it seriously to sort of pay it forward and help get some of these other guys over. Um, is Eddie the guy who's asking to work with Ray and ultimately wants to put Ray over at WrestleMania? Well, it was something that we had discussed and it was looking at a logical, you know, feel good. What do we need story? And that was uh, Ray and Eddie had history for many years from Mexico, from WCW, but also personally, they were good friends and they got along. And that comes through when you're working a program with someone, if you gel outside of the ring, you're probably going to gel inside the ring. So you could feel the connection between the two. And that's what made the difference. what did you think of the, uh, the competition they were doing on this show where they had the different women competing and wearing formal wear and letting fans vote online on WWE.com. I mean, I know it's time and place, but still kind of weird, huh? Yeah. Yeah. Less said the better. It just was, it's, it's, it just doesn't play well. And I think that especially that crop of talent, it just, I don't know. Didn't feel good. Didn't feel big to me at all. Well, if you want something to feel big, you got to go to bluechew.com. Of course, this episode is brought to you by bluechew.com. Bruce, remember the days when you were always ready to go, when the wind could blow and your little brother love would be throbbing with a big red head on it. And you remember that? I do. Well, now you can increase your performance and get that extra confidence in bed. Listen up bluechew.com and that's blue, like the color blue bluechew is bringing you the world's first chewable with the same FDA approved active ingredients as both Viagra and Cialis. And you can take them anytime day or night, even on a full stomach. And since they're chewable. They can work up to twice as fast as a pill, so you can be ready whenever an opportunity arises. And if you could benefit from more confidence where it counts, and who couldn't, BlueChew.com is the fast and easy way to enhance your performance. To be clear, BlueChew is prescribed online by licensed physicians, so you don't have to go to the doctor's office or wait in line at the pharmacy, and it ships right to your door in a discreet package. They're made in the USA, and since BlueChew prepares and ships direct, they're cheaper than a pharmacy, but best of all, no more awkwardness. And right now we've got a special deal for our listeners. Just visit bluechew.com and just get your first shipment for free when you use our promo code wrestle, just pay $5 shipping again. That's B L U E C H E W.com. The promo code is wrestle and you can try it for free. Blue chew is the better, cheaper, faster choice. And we thank them for sponsoring the podcast. Uh, Bruce, if, uh, the macho man were here, what would he have to say about a rock hard dick from bluechew.com? Freak out, freak out. Oh yeah. First name, macho, last name, man, middle name, hard. 
Uh, it's hard to watch this next match, man. Booker T beat Heidenreich by DQ. Six minutes and 30 seconds. Not much to it. Heidenreich. It was about six minutes too long. Yeah. Heidenreich uh, th- jabs the, uh, the throat of Booker T with a chair. That's the DQ. Half a star. Man, is there a bigger miss in this era, WWE, than Heidenreich? I don't know. I... John was and is. I mean, he's when you talk to him, he he's like a teddy bear. It's really nice guy, really sweet guy. But it just the size, the potential, um, the desire, definitely there. But maybe all the years of playing football um, just took took a toll on his body to the point where it just the body wouldn't do what the mind wanted it to do. And the mind is a dangerous thing. But anyway, <laughs> it's wasn't there. It just wasn't there. Try as we may, it wasn't there. And this was just all I, all I could think of through the whole thing was how sorry I felt for book. Yeah. You got, you've really put some of your friends in bad spots over the years. You know, it feels like if you were friends with Bruce Pritchard, whether you're Booker T or you're the undertaker, he's going to make you do some shit because he thinks that you can pull it off. So Bruce Pritchard having confidence in you is both a blessing and a curse. Fair to say? This is true. <laughs> uh, we would see backstage Hardcore Holly, Charlie Haas, and Scotty Too Hotty congratulating Eddie and Ray on capturing the tag titles. And when Cena enters the room, Guerrero says he wants a word with him alone. And Guerrero tells Cena that when Angle puts the ankle lock on him, don't tap out. Uh, that will just make him frustrated and he'll make mistakes. And that's his opening. Cena listened and shook Guerrero's hand. Uh, but didn't react either way to Guerrero's suspect game plan advice. Uh, and next up, we see Chavo Guerrero in there in a cruiserweight title six-way match uh, over the incumbent champ Funaki, challengers Paul London, Chavo Guerrero, uh, Akio, and Spike Dudley. Nine minutes and 30 seconds. What do you think of the match here? It feels like they don't get a lot of time for this many pieces of talent. Uh, and there's a, a ton of talent here. Uh, we should mention... I guess I didn't list him there, but Shannon Moore is a part of this match as well. I really like these type of matches, but this one for me, uh, as, as Wade says is nothing memorable. One star. It fell flat. You know, it was, it was too many guys trying to do too many things and none of them doing anything. Who would have been the agent for a match like this? Shit, I have no idea. Well, (laughs) no clue. Freestyle. Who you think the agent staff was in Oh five. I couldn't even tell you. I couldn't even venture a guess. I, I don't, I don't have a clue. Not a, I mean, not even a little bit of a clue. I would have to see a list of names and shit, but couldn't tell you. Wade wrote, Funaki got a pop coming out. No one else did. Is, is the, is the match doomed like that? Where if the talent, when they come through the curtain on a big pay-per-view show, if the crowd doesn't perceive them as a star and respond in kind, you're doomed unless you really just blow the doors off, but there was, there wasn't a big, there wasn't a story and a reason to care. So the, the match was doomed. Everybody in it was doomed because it was putting guys in there to go out and okay. Dazzle me with something, but nobody cared to be dazzled. Best way I can explain it. Wade would write ridiculously fast pins in this short time span hurt the match. Nothing memorable. 
Next up, we get the rookie diva competition, continuing with a talent competition. Joey would give uh, Tori a massage. Rochelle does a stand-up routine that bombs. Lauren danced poorly. Michelle body slammed Don. Man, this rookie diva competition, this is nightmare fuel, is it not? Terrible. <laughs> Just terrible. Was it in this era where you're still trying to find your way and you want to sort of flirt with being edgy, but you're not really attitude era. So we think a little old fashioned, for lack of a better word, T and a on TV is going to work well. And maybe this is what the audience wants. Or are we still trying to figure that out? Well, I think that a lot of it was that we needed more sex appeal and was like, well, just, just get it on the show. We'll figure it out later. And the figuring out part never really transpired and, and didn't happen well. So, um, yeah, it was, it was forced and figure out later. And that's what's, ha- that's what happens when you don't have enough time to plan things out and make them mean something when you're just watching, you're going, why in the fuck is this happening? Um, and you're trying to figure that out while you're watching something take place. That's not a good feeling. And that's what I was doing. While I was watching this going, Oh, what the fuck? It's, you know what? This, this is one that needs to be watched just to punish everyone. And I think you should watch it because it's, it's a good thing to do to yourself every once in a while. Well, this, this comes from a guy who has had the worth, the worst tooth life of his life. Yes, I have right now. Uh, we also get backstage, Josh Matthews interviewing JBL who cut a great promo about the bar bar cage match. And he's continuing to get over his, I am a wrestling God catchphrase. What'd you think of JBL and his wrestling God bit? It worked. It worked. And that was something that stuck with him. And he was the longest reigning SmackDown champion. And it was, it was something that worked for him. And by God, he was a wrestling God. Uh, we don't talk about it. He's a, a he's another one that's rich and lives in Washington, DC. He's probably got a mansion almost as big as yours. He has two. He has one here and one in fucking Bermuda. Yeah. Well, no, the Bermuda one's gone. Well, it, it tickles me that for years and years, every time I would see a post from him, it was some beautiful lush green with the ocean in the background. And he would put best day ever. And I could tell he's back stateside when now those best day ever captions Belong with a, a picture of, of chicken from Popeye's. Oh, I like Popeye's. Yeah, but come on. Best day ever, Bermuda golfing or a two-piece? Come on. Red beans and rice or uh, Cajun rice? Uh, let's, speak, let's talk about Josh Matthews. I don't know when we'll talk about him again here on the show. Uh, we, we first meet Josh through Tough Enough. Then he does a series of these backstage vignettes. We see him do some commentary. Eventually he moves on. He joins TNA essentially becomes the voice of TNA for a long time. I think he's done a bunch of other stuff in Nashville, local radio, fashion stuff, et cetera, et cetera. He's outkicked his coverage. He's been blessed to make a living in the wrestling business for a long time, but he got some heat a few years ago when he started calling himself the best wrestling announcer in the game. And it feels like he's taking a page out of JBL's book in this promo. I'm a wrestling God. Uh, tell us about the real life Josh Matthews that we don't see on the air. Oh boy. Uh, <laughs> you don't want to see that one on the air. Jo- you know, Josh went through tough enough and busted his ass and 
in Josh's mind, I believe he always wanted to be a wrestler. And that's that was his dream. That's what he wanted to do. But through injuries and just size in general, Josh was not going to be a uh, top guy. And he wasn't going to be able to make a living wrestling in that time. And Josh was able to go into the broadcast booth and do interviews and do some different things. And I thought he did okay. He, I thought he did okay, but it wasn't, um, it wasn't like, Oh my God, he's, he's the best or anything like that. And continually trying to up his game and improve himself. Hey, he, he's landed himself a good gig. Good for him. Nice enough guy and works hard. That, that's one thing that, you definitely can't take away from him. Uh, Josh has always been a super hard worker. I got to tell you, my favorite Bruce Pritchard, subtle fuck you is nice enough guy. Makes me happy. <laughs> nice it's not a subtle guy. fuck you. It is. It's the, it's akin to a Southern bless his heart. Bless his heart. Yeah. Bless your heart or bless his heart. Any of that in the South means fuck off. Uh, that's not true. It is true. Ask people. That's a, you know what? That's a, they need a blessing. They, <laughs> they just need their little heart blessed. I love you for that. The next match is undertaker and Luther reigns. I'm fascinated with Luther reigns. I'm excited that we get to talk about him here. You um, are. Yeah. Cause it, it's, <laughs> uh, he's such an interesting character. This match is made after reigns interfered in the undertaker's match during the number one contenders tournament on the February 3rd episode of SmackDown. Of course, the interference would cost Undertaker the match and his opportunity to challenge for the title at WrestleMania. On the February 10th episode of SmackDown, Reigns cuts a promo on The Undertaker saying he's not scared of him. A week later, The Undertaker would face Reigns' tag team partner, Mark Jindrak. And immediately after Reigns had defeated Dunzio, he cuts another promo on The Undertaker. And The Undertaker pins Jindrak after a choke slam and a tombstone. Then Reigns hits The Undertaker with a television camera. The Undertaker quickly recovers, sits up in the ring, and stalks him backstage. And that gets us to this match. Uh, Luther Reigns is out with Mark Jindrak in his corner. Undertaker gets the win in 11 minutes and 38 seconds. Uh, Wade would say, uninspired effort from both. It felt empty and pointless. Taker won with the tombstone. Crowd was flat. Three quarters of a star. The match sort of is what it is. But this is another guy, much like Heidenreich, where it's a big guy and we feel like we should find a spot for him. And he's got a unique enough look, but it's just a miss. And, and Luther's not an old guy. He's, he's only 48 years old now. So, well, you know who he's younger than chat me up. Why was Luther reigns a miss with the company? Great. Look, big dude just didn't click. Well, bless his heart. <laughs> Great. Look. Yeah. Great look, great size, a desire, but kind of like Heidenreich, I think that the light bulb never really clicked and it never really just set off because it, it just never really, he never really realized it. He'd been through the power plant, he'd been down at WCW and he had tried to work for quite a while and this was his break, but it just, Sometimes I think that talent will get in their head that they're playing a part instead of just go with it, feel it. Don't play the part, be the part. And I think Luther was always trying to play the part instead of just being the part. That's probably the best way I can describe it. The Divas have a bikini contest. Joy is announced to the winner of fan voting. Any surprise there? Uh, Yeah, but... Again, 
I think that the way that the joy was positioned as far as, you know, she was kind of favorite. I, I just shook my head at what the fuck are we doing? Well, nobody was saying that about our number one contenders match here. Kurt Angle and John Cena. It was first announced by SmackDown GM, Teddy Long on the February 3rd episode of SmackDown. Holla, holla. It's going to make a tag team match player, uh, that he booked some of the first round matches for the night. Uh, the winner of the tournament, of course, is going to earn a title shot at WrestleMania 21. The first match was Undertaker and Renee Dupree. Double count out due to Luther Reigns preventing Undertaker from re-entering the match. It's worth mentioning that this interference happens uh, because of Kurt Angle. Because uh, Kurt Angle requests a little bit of help. He does not want to face the Undertaker if Angle wins his match. And the double tournament or double count out means neither man advances. Therefore, there will be a bye in the next match. Uh, the next first round match is Eddie Guerrero and Booker T Booker T would win that by pinfall. Even after Guerrero had faked the knee injury to try to gain the advantage on the February 10th episode, the next first round match is between Cena and Orlando Jordan, which of course Cena easily wins. Then we see a match with angle and Mysterio angles going to win by forcing Mysterio to submit to the ankle lock. And due to this win and the double count out from the week before he gets a buy into the finals here. Meanwhile, on the 17th on SmackDown, we would see Cena wrestle Booker T and of course Cena wins after the FU. So that brings us here. This is the finals. The winner gets a title shot and the crowd really woke up for this match. Uh, Wade would say that was intense brawling at ringside early angled, uh, was, uh, having a sustained offense on John Cena for quite a while. And then about 10 minutes in Cena starts to come back, actually does a top rope move, even though he looks uneasy up there. Angle starts to apply the leg locks and ankle locks and angle is using Cena's chain and Cena comes back with a spear and an FU and despite the bum ankle scores, the pin good match. John Cena gets the win 19 minutes, 14 seconds, three and three quarter stars. what do you think of the match? And was this a match to sort of help bring John Cena along and, and sort of submit him as a legitimate threat to the world title with a win over Kurt Angle like this. Damn good match. Damn good match. And this is one of those where you look at Kurt Angle and go, fuck, man. He was so good at everything that he did. And Kurt's job in this match, make John Cena. And that's exactly what Kurt did. And Cena allowed himself to be made and took that ball and ran. So this was a pairing of two of the best. The, you know, neither one of them were like these long season veterans. And you get Kurt in that environment of, of challenging him to let me, let me make this guy. Let me go out and show you that John Cena should be the next guy. If that's what you want, if he can hang and he can do this, then he should be. And Kurt took that as a challenge. So this was pro- this was the best match on the show. And those guys went out there and delivered. Like you said, the energy was different, maybe because it was Kurt's hometown and they were all into Kurt, but at the same time, Cena had him. And it's nice when all those things come together. But to me, this was the highlight of the show and, and the best match on the show. We should mention that uh, on the way here, Cena dropped the U.S. title to Orlando Jordan. Uh, just right after this, because there's no reason for Santa to keep it since he's going to be challenging for the world title. Uh, let's keep it moving here. Let's talk about our world title match. It's JBL and big show. And at the Royal rumble, 
JBL defended his title in a triple threat against Kurt Angle and Big Show. And during the match, uh, members from Team Angle and JBL's cabinet all interfered. Eventually, the cabinet helped JBL retain. And later in the evening, JBL entered the office of the SmackDown GM, Teddy Long, who immediately announced a barbed wire steel cage match between JBL and Big Show for the championship at No Way Out. On the February 3rd edition of SmackDown, Big Show would defeat the Bashams, members of the handicap or members of the cabinet in a handicap match. And then a week later on SmackDown, JBL and his cabinet would attack the Big Show. And on the 17th, Big Show does the same thing to JBL and his cabinet. So here we are. We're finally here. One of the first times that we see a barbed wire steel cage match on a WWF pay-per-view, uh, this one just as a stipulation, like chat me up about how we get here. We're not just doing a cage match. We're doing a barbed wire steel cage match. What's that sound like when it's pitched in the meeting? <laughs> well, it's not the easiest thing in the world to pitch because you've got to describe it. And in describing, you know, barbed wire wrapping, it, it was all about keeping, keeping them inside of the ring. And that was for me growing up in, in the South and in Texas, a cage match was the blow off cage match was the last match in any program because it was nobody in and nobody out. And the, to me, you know, a lot of people will go back and, and there's one moment and that's when Ole Anderson fucked up the cage match and raised the cage in a match in Atlanta and then played it on TV. And it was like, what the fuck? That's not a cage match. So, uh, I blame Ole Anderson for that because it was first time national exposure that you saw that the cage didn't work. Someone could just raise it up. And I think that we have bastardized it ever since. Um, so in, in, in that regard, when you, you look at this, that was the cell that the whole cell was, look, nobody's getting out with barbed wire and what do they do? You know, you, in a prison to keep everybody in. You got razor wire and all that shit. That's what you were looking at. There was no escape for JBL and you wanted him caged in there with the, uh, giant. But if he was desperate enough to go through that, then he had to be pretty damn desperate. And you tell that story. Um, and that was it. It, it was trying to get a finality to it. It is, uh, fascinating because it doesn't seem like something Vince would have went for, uh, way would break the match down like this. JBL took the early advantage of the match and tried to climb the cage to escape. But of course it's stopped by the barbed wire. He then sent big show into the cage, causing him to bleed. Big show takes control, prompting JBL's cabinet to interfere. Orlando Jordan attempts to climb the cage, uh, as the Bastion brothers use a pair of bolt cutters to cut a small hole in the cage. And, uh, Teddy long would eject the cabinet from ringside, but Jordan passes the bolt cutters through the cage to JBL. JB uses them to hit the big show for a near fall. And then uh, big show does a choke slam from the top rope, sending JBL through the ring. And then JBL breaks through the cage door or big show does rather. Uh, but JBL had escaped meaning JBL retained the title. Uh, so big show then attacks JBL after the match until the cabinet intervenes. They attack big show until Batista makes the save. And then John Cena attacks JBL two and a half stars is the rating. It gets from Wade lots of, uh, I think your old pal would call it Gaga here. Lots of Gaga. That's what I was going to say. 
It was Gaga. It was a lot of Gaga, and that was you know what, what we needed just to dress it up. I don't know that it was the most attractive match in the world. Certainly wasn't one of the best, but you know we did some different things with the bolt cutters and just the whole slam there at the end. It just uh, it was different, and that's more than anything what we were trying to do is is not not do the same old same old. And sometimes the same old same old works, but this was an attempt to get out of the comfort zone, do something different. Recently, Jim Ross was critical of the whole escape from the cage concept that WWE had, had sort of put forth and made famous in the eighties. He preferred it more old school. Like you did growing up in Texas where nobody in, nobody out type of deal in hindsight. Do you think that that adds more finishes or, or hurts the original intent or where are you on that concept? Well, I've changed over the years. Originally I always hated it, but as you, you know, you get into it and you have that option, it provides you a lot of options and it provides you different, different things to sell. And if you are a good worker, you can sell it right. Where part of look in a match, you try not to get pinned or, be put in a submission in a cage match with those stipulations. You're trying for the guy not to get out of the fucking cage. So it adds there's pinfall, there's submission add to that. There's another way to win this match. So anytime you can add more dimension to that, I think it can be good and it provides you a lot more options to play with. Do you think in hindsight, you guys did the whole through the ring shit too much with big show? I mean, the first time anybody sees something like that, it is shock and awe, but eventually we start, it became more and more common and I don't know, it feels less special For, to me. It felt less special in this match in particular. Maybe. And I, I can see that point. Yeah, I, I definitely can see that point, especially when you look at it through the hindsight that we have today, because it feels like we've done it more, um, even since then, but at the time, you know, it, it almost becomes a gimmick. It becomes a part of their repertoire. <laughs> you know what I mean? Who's he going to put through the fucking ring? Um, so you, you can rely on that. It's a pop, but I, I was reminded of a story and this kind of sums it up of when you try to sensationalize things and, and you do too much too often. It's like the guy that, uh, you, you arrive at work one day and out in the parking lot, there's two elephants fucking. And you walk inside and go, oh, my God, did you see in the parking lot there were two elephants fucking? Oh, my God, I've never seen anything like that. That was the craziest fucking thing I've ever seen. And you're buzzing and you're, you're constantly talking about it. Second day, you come in. Elephants, two elephants out in the parking lot fucking. You walk inside and go, God damn, those elephants are still fucking out there in the parking lot. Holy shit. Third day, you come in and elephants are still out in the parking lot. Fucking, you walk in and you go, God damn, this elephant's been fucking a long time. By the fourth day, it's like, Jesus fucking Christ. I'm done with the elephants. So you can, you know, you can do something sensational. You can do it. And if you do it too much, yes, you become desensitized to it. And it, it's not as big anymore. Ain't like two elephants fucking. Um, let's talk about the, uh, the way you guys would do these through the ring stunts, you know, you guys wrestle an entire day on these things. And then at some point, I assume, 
uh, someone from the magic department has to climb under the ring and, and set some shit up. What's the, what's the process to make something like that come together? You put somebody through a goddamn ring. Jesus Christ. Bro. You know, I'm not going to tell you the magic. Well, I got to ask though. It's what I do on the show. You do. Yes, you do. And I have to say, I'm not going to tell you the magic puts people through a ring and that comes, you know, in the, in the spot, the funny thing about it is, is the spot comes from guys being put through the ring. That actual spot came from uh, the match Harley race and Wahoo McDaniel in Houston, Texas, where they actually went through the fucking ring and they broke it because Wahoo kept suplexing Harley in the same spot and, and would like drive him down and the fucking ring broke. And that was the finish of the match unintended finish of the match, but it was still like, holy fuck, that was pretty cool. It was, it was pretty cool. It is a cool visual. I just wish that, uh, I don't know. In hindsight, I wish it was more special. Cause I still remember the first one and think that was the coolest thing ever. And after that, I guess it just continued to diminishing returns. Um, but we won't do that next week here on the show. Stay tuned. We're going to tell you what's coming up next week, but first we've got some questions on Twitter. We asked if you had a question about no way out 2005, uh, at Pritchard show. If you haven't already go follow us on Twitter at Pritchard show and, uh, stay tuned. We're going to be asking questions each and every week. Uh, first question comes from bad money. Slim. He wants to know what's your favorite Luther reigns match and, uh, how related is he to Roman reigns? No relation. And, um, I don't have, I, I can't even say that one. I don't, I don't have a favorite Luther reigns match. How about the last one? Uh, Nathan writes in, did you know you were going with Taker Orton at WrestleMania 21? At this point, it feels like he could have jump-started things, having Orton show up here, a la and Goldberg and Lesnar at the previous year's No Way Out. No, we did. Yes, we did. Why don't you think we saw something in here with Orton here in this show then to set that one up? Didn't need it. Uh, Again, you want to set it up on TV. Kieran writes, how long did you envision JBL being champion? Was it a month to month basis or was it a certain amount of months? And let's see what happens. I guess what he's asking is, was he always supposed to be a transitional champion at John Cena? John shit. John was champion for a long time and he did very well as champion. A lot of it was let's, let's keep going. As long as it's doing well, you're going to continue with it. Uh, but I thought John was an excellent champion and did pretty damn good in that role. Uh, straight shooting LJA. He got mad last time when I left out one of those letters, uh, wants to know how good of a job do you think JBL was doing compared to the great heels of the past? Like triple H from Oh two to Oh four Hollywood Hogan in the nineties, flair in the eighties, et cetera. I, I thought he was excellent. And I thought that John really came into his own as a heel champion and took the title and made the title mean something. And in return, you know, it was, uh, it made him. So I thought John was excellent. Tony wants to know who came up with the finish for the barbar steel cage match. He thought it was a perfect ending for a slimy heel like JBL. God, I don't, I don't really remember, but it probably was, was probably a Vince call. Jamie wants to know with John Cena now heading to WrestleMania after the no way out pay-per-view, whose idea was it to have the WWE world title become a spinner? I assume the creative belt making process would take time. And that probably would have happened prior to WrestleMania. 
Yeah, that was Cena's idea, and, and John is one of those talent that was always coming up with different ideas and different merchandising and, and ways to develop and do something new. And the Spinner thing was that was John's deal. And you've told us before here on the show that, in principle, you fucking hated the Spinner, but then yep. when you saw how well the shit sold replica belts and what that line item represented, it became your favorite WWE belt of all time. You damn right. Uh, so there you go. I know a lot of people want to know, man, I was already a spinner for the U S why spinner world? Because we could sell more belts. Uh, Dalton diamond writes in, this was, uh, a huge first in WWE. Were there any concerns on participating in such a brutal concept, any limitations to things they were told they could not do, et cetera, et cetera. He's wanting to know about the, uh, the barbed wire. There's been lots of rumor and innuendo over the years that you guys would use rubber tipped barbed wire. And there were certain precautions because Vince hated the concept. Well, can you speak to Vince's opinion on, on barbed wire? Yeah, he didn't like it. And, you know, there were times that obviously it was used with Mick Foley and different things. As long as there was a threat to use it, it was enough versus actually using it. And actually using it, I think, was the breaking point of just, it can be too gruesome. And, not something he was a big fan of me either. I, and I, and I go back and I look at some of the Terry funk stuff and stuff they did in ECW. And I just really thought it was too much. Specifically. You're talking about born to be wired with Sabu in August of 97, where they had to be cut out. It was crazy. Yeah. I hated that. I've, I've just seen some of the shit that they've done over in, uh, Japan with FMW, yeah. um, Onita's group. And, and it just, it's gore for gore's sake and gore for gore's sake to me doesn't sell. Um, let's talk a little bit about big show. Ricky Morton's mullet writes in and says, Jim Ross says big show was criminally overexposed. Do you agree with that? Why? Well, I think he thinks that the idea was he should have been a special attraction sort of like Andre was, but when you see him every single week, uh, it becomes less special. I think a part of that is true, but at the same time, you have to have him around to get him involved in story. And the more stories involved, the more vested you are in that character. Omar writes in, what are your thoughts on Paul London? And do you think he'll ever be back? You never say never. I think Paul's a talented guy. I think that the stuff that he has done, um, is incredible. I, I enjoyed the stuff that he did with the rabbit in, uh, Lucha Underground, the Mad Hatter, whatever the hell he is. It's just highly entertaining. And um, I think Paul sometimes could be his own worst enemy and take himself too seriously, but he was a hell of a talent with a shitload of personality. It was just getting that personality out of him. Uh, do you think Paul London was uh, his style of, of wrestling and, and his preference of wrestling was a little ahead of its time for WWE? Yes, I do. And I also think that, you know, uh, Paul's style of wrestling to me wasn't crash and burn for crash and burn's sake. He, he wasn't the kind of guy that, that went out and did shit just to do it because he actually sold the stuff he did and the stuff that was done to him. To me, that's what made Paul different was he did have some psychology to the moves that he did and he would actually sell them. And that's what made him unique. Andy C writes in, what did the company see in Linda miles and what went wrong? 
I just think that she was too green and she was brought up way too fast. That's, I mean, hell of an athlete, unbelievable athlete, but did, never really picked up, never really picked up the business. Frederick writes in, does Batista versus John Cena versus JBL at WrestleMania ever make it in the conversation? Oh my God. I hope not. <laughs> Just saying that I'd be like, oh, fuck so, no. So back then nobody was for that idea. I hope not. It was never pitched to me. Uh, Bryant uh, wants to know why was this match? Why was the main event so bloody? Is there an expectation? And I guess what we're asking there is there's always been, uh, uh, I don't know, moving goalposts in regards to blood in WWE certain times. It's just absolutely across the board banned. Other times it's only banned on TV, but allowed on pay-per-view. But realistically, if you're going to do a cage match and now you're going to put barbed wire on it, kind of have to commit to blood. Do you know it? You don't have to. And, and again, I thought it was way too much. I'm not a big fan of it. So when you, and you can't call that, that's not some, okay, I'm only going to bleed so much. Um, sometimes shit happens. So that's not a call that we, okay, we want you guys to go out and bleed buckets. That's silly. And it's unfortunately, yeah, I, I thought it was too much. And I think a lot of people would go the other way and thought it was necessary. So just a, that's a preference. And we had one fan right in who wants to know where did Carlito get his apples? Apples are us. Uh, GJ has a question and this to me epitomizes why we do this podcast because we have hardcore listeners, son, check this question out. Why did JBL going through the ring count as him escaping when the same wasn't said for diesel at in your house, February, 1996. Cause I wasn't doing it. I don't know. I have no idea because we wanted it to. That's why I, I just absolutely love that people and Clint from Hershey. I was at the Meadowlands one time and I saw a referee and I could clearly see from his eye point that he could see that Greg Valentine's feet were on the ropes. Yeah, he counted to three anyway. And I would like to know where that referee got his license from and who I could write a letter to to get his license suspended because I could swear and that I actually saw that. Oh boy. Yeah. It's craziness. It is crazy. I, uh, I gotta tell you, I enjoyed looking at this show, going back and talking about stuff that happened you know, back in the day. And I feel like this is maybe one of the forgotten eras of, uh, of WWE. I feel like so much attention gets paid uh, to the attitude era and the golden era. I'm glad that you guys, you know, recently did the ruthless aggression thing on WWE network and that we get to visit shows like this and stay tuned next week. We're going to be bringing Ricky, the dragon steamboat, man. There's uh, a lot to be said about Ricky, the dragon steamboat. What are you looking forward to covering the most? Breathing fire. <laughs> yeah, that's a great story that I don't think we've told in long form here on the show. Stay tuned next week. We, uh, we get to hear the great story of teaching one of the greatest wrestlers there ever were to breathe fire because well, that'll work. Uh, also on so the dragons do God damn it. They do. We've got other great stuff planned coming your way, including uh, May Young. Raw is hand baby. Hashtag ask Bruce anything. WrestleMania 11 that Bruce is particularly excited about. 
Of course, the big pay-per-view following this one, WrestleMania 21, be coming your way on April 3rd. We got Paul Bear, we got Hacksaw of Duggan, we got Backlash 2005. We got a lot of stuff coming your way, and it all gets started next week right here with Ricky the Dragon Steamboat on something to wrestle with. Bruce Pritchard. Shakakan. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. Right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra? I think I can get an extra 5 to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.